My name is Grace, and I have the privilege of bringing to you our reading this morning from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11, verses 23 to 34. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when... Excuse me. It's the remnants of the good news. Um, where was I up to? For whenever you drink this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be fin finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry, hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Thank you, Grace. So, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to talk about two, two things that uh, you will kind of see all Christians do. No matter where you go in the world, no matter, no matter uh, where you go in Australia, uh, you would see there's two sort of, uh, I almost want to say observances, or you could call them rituals, or you could call them, uh, we call it a celebration, uh, but you'd see them. No matter where you go, different groups attach different meaning and significance to them, but this is what you'd see. Uh, you would see these two things in the life of a church. One is what is called, what we call it here, the Lord's Supper. You might know it as communion or the Eucharist or Mass. It's essentially, really at the surface level, the same thing. The other thing you will see is you'll see uh, people getting baptised, Christian baptism, that's, that's the other thing. And sometimes that's putting someone fully in water, sometimes it's putting a bit of water on them, uh, but that's the other thing. That's what we'll talk about next week. 
These two things are called sacraments. Now, that's a word that, I mean, who, when was the last time any of you, I'd be interested to see when was the last time you said that word. We don't use that word. It's a very, it's a very faithy kind of a church word, isn't it? What does it mean? Very simple. It's a sign, concrete, physical, tangible thing, a sign that communicates an invisible truth about God, about His promises, about His grace, about who He is. Physical sign that signifies something about who God is, what He's promised, what He wants for you. Right? That's what a sacrament is. It's as simple as that. And we're given two of these sacraments, the two that I've introduced you to this morning, directly by Jesus. He, he, he sort of, for his church, he says, these are the two things I want you to do. Lord's Supper, baptism. Today's Lord's Supper. We do this every month in this church. And, and by the way, just as an aside, uh, there's no prescription as to how often a church should do this. You could do it every week, you could do it once a year, you could do it once a month. Jesus didn't tell us. We do it once a month seems to work, okay? No prescription how often. The other thing that I must say is, I'll talk about bread and wine, but it's grape juice. It's it's not real wine. No one's keen for some wine at 9 in the morning or 9.30. Originally, when Jesus shared this and instituted this thing, it was wine, but this is grape juice. What is it? (laughs) Why do we do it, Mike? That's the title, <laughs> if I can get back to that. Couldn't you come up with something more catchy, but, but that sort of captures for me what I, why we want to talk about it. We do this once a month, right? And I say a little bit about it before we do it, but, but what actually is it? Why, why, would, why would Jesus give this to his church to do? And, and certainly if you're new to church, uh, or totally unfamiliar with church, and there's lots of people here in, in that category, it's great. It's great to talk about it. Very, very helpful to understand what is it and why do churches do it. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to talk about uh, five things. Um, some points will be longer than others. It might take a while to work through them, but please, I'm going to do my best to keep you with me throughout the journey. Five things that one author, uh, Ligon Duncan, points out of why we do this uh, once a month, why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Okay, let me skip on slides. Sorry, Phil, I my button's not moving us along. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, here is where we want to be. Great. Why do we do the Lord's Supper? Well, point number one. In the Lord's Supper, the signs of which, by the way, is bread and wine. Here's what happens. The covenant cost is remembered. That's a lot of religious language again, so I'm going to just work with that for a minute. Dana, can you, can you join me, please? Can you just come on up? I've, I've teed Dana up for this. Um, <sighs> Dana and I are in a relationship. Uh, it's Facebook official. 
has been for a while now. many years already, down as my wife, right? We're married. We're in a marriage relationship. Marriage relationships kind of works like this. You, 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 it, it's, it's a conditional relationship. There are conditions that need to be upheld for this relationship to be called a marriage relationship. I have to do the dishes every night. I love chocolate cake, but she's never baked me a chocolate cake. <laughs> no, let's not have this. Let's not have this domestic in front of the church. No, um, those aren't the conditions. <laughs> Obviously, you know, marriage relationships take other conditions. There's there's faithfulness. You know, for as long as there's faithfulness, there's a marriage relationship. You can restore a marriage relationship and a covenant relationship. Anything can be restored, right? But that's kind of the thing. There's, there's these sort of conditions that, that need to be upheld and met if the relationship is to take place. And, and here's the thing, when it comes to God, here's, here's the starting point that we must have for both this week and next week. Here's the truth. God wants to have a relationship with you as an individual and as a whole church. God wants to be in a relationship with you and it is not any relationship, it is a covenant relationship. It is like a marriage relationship. There are conditions to be met. A lot of history in this and I'm not going to take you through it but I'll give you the two conditions. It's really only one condition. It is that your sin is atoned for. You are a morally imperfect being as I am, as every human being is. That's the condition. Now, there's lots more that I can explain, and if you're new to church, you might want to explore a lot more about that. All right? What does that look like, and why, and what is sin, and, and am I actually a sinner, and, and really wrestle with that. It's a difficult concept, but, but it's true. Now, sin needs to be atoned for. And here's the thing, then, that God does. That is outrageously... <laughs> Crazy when you think about it. He makes that atonement for us. His son Jesus comes, is born, lives, dies on a cross, is resurrected to satisfy the full atonement for human sin so that, here's the second condition, if you believe that, you're in a relationship with God. God enters into a relationship with you, a living relationship in which you will remain forever, in which he reveals himself to you, in which he shows to you who he is, what he has done, what he has in store for you. And Christians will testify to no end of the worth and the weight and the value of that relationship, of what it means to them, of its satisfying nature, of the hope that it gives, of the encouragement that it gives of the forgiveness and the relief and the removal of guilt and fear and shame and all those things are part of the life of the Christian journey to say that I am good because I am in a relationship with God who loves me and who has done everything that stood in the way from me being in a relationship with Him. He has done it. That bread and that wine remembers what God has done remembers what was done so that you may know God, that he may know you, that you may walk with him. 
Thank you. You could <laughs> see. Uh, this, is, this is what it is. This, we, we remember this cost. We remember what God has done, that the conditions for us to be in a relationship with him, he has met in his son Jesus because he loves you. Do you believe it? The only question that remains. Now let me be practical here because we get this question from time to time and you may have it. In a while, we're going to hand out, you know, the bread and the wine, the juice, and you kind of wonder, well, do I take a piece of that or not? Do I participate in this or not? It's a good question to ask. It's a very reasonable question to ask because we've got to be serious about what's at stake here. I won't, I won't go too much into it, but here's, what I, here's how I want to help you to figure out whether you should take it or not. In, that, in one sense, it's very simple. It just boils down to this. Do I understand? Do I understand what God has done for me so that I may be in a relationship with him? Do I believe it? Do I want it? It's really not more complicated than that. I don't want to create unnecessary expectations. You, 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 you don't need to know all the things that there is to know about the Bible, about how to live the Christian life. There may be many things that you kind of have not really sorted out in your life and, and, and that's okay. The, that, that's the stuff that we figure out while in a relationship with God. But at a very basic level, do I understand that I'm not worthy of a relationship with God outside of my sin being atoned for. If I do, and if I accept what he's done for me, if I can count that as a love that he has shown for me, and I want to know him, and I want him to know me, and I want that relationship, yep, it's for you. So young people, children, you, you, parents, we get asked often by parents, what should I do? Should my, ki- should my children do this or not? The, the, the party line and the status quo is... Do they understand what they're doing? Do they believe in what they're doing? They do? Yes. If no, no. Perhaps not. Let's wait on this. There's absolutely no problem, of course, to let this go by. You're not under pressure. No one's forced, no one's obligated to participate. I love the fact that in our church particularly, many people over the years... I've sat on this for a long time. It's not like I don't want to take this so I'm not going to come to church. I don't want to go on, on the spiritual journey of figuring out who God is, figuring out our life with him, what it looks like. You come and you pass by this for as long as you have to to figure it out. You're welcome. This is why we exist and there's no pressure whatsoever to be forced to participate. Okay, that's the, that's the first point. And, and there's five, so this is the longest one. You're doing well. Why do we do this? Because we remember. That's the words I tell you. Take it, eat from it, remember and believe. That's a yes. Take it. All right. Number two. The presence of God is celebrated. Bit of biblical history here. 
Uh, if you know the Bible, this will make sense. If not, please humor me and bear with me. Remember, early on in the Bible, there's this whole story of humanity's sin entering the world and, and the stuff that really makes us not quite who we should be, even the best of us, right? And the story, interestingly, revolves around food. God places humanity in this incredible place where his presence is known and he walks with Adam and Eve in this place called the garden and they know God and God knows them and they've got this real beautiful intimacy. There's only one thing they need to not do in order to live under his authority and that is do not eat of this one tree, right? That's, that's the only thing God tells them not to do. And what are the words, essentially, that gets put to them by Satan? Take and eat. If you eat from this, you, you won't die. It's not true. God is not real. God is not the ultimate authority. You see, take and eat becomes words of separation from God, losing the presence of God. And then comes Jesus. And, and I'll confess openly, I vastly underrated and underestimated just the sheer glory of this truth that every time that I stand before you and I hold out these things that I say to you, take and eat. Do you know what I'm saying to us, really? Come into the presence of God. Step into the fellowship <laughs> of God. Know God. What a thing <laughs> that, that, that once a month, it should be almost every day, you really want to do it when you think about that, don't you? Take and eat. There's this stunning story later on in the Bible where a few of uh, Jesus' disciples, shortly after his resurrection, uh, on, on this place called the road to Emmaus and, and, and they didn't recognize who he was and there's this point where they sit down and they eat and here's what the Bible said when he was at the table with them he took bread he blessed it he broke it and he gave it to them their eyes were opened they recognized him and then they go to their friends and they told all that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread Hear that, would you, when I say to you later this, uh, this morning, take and eat. God saying to you, come into my presence. I have done everything necessary for that. Come, right? We, we celebrate, we remember the very presence of God in the Lord's Supper. Number three, this is mind-blowingly beautiful. The covenant community is strengthened. There's the verse in what Grace read to us in that little passage. It said this, what's up on the screen. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself or herself. So it kind of says that, you know, God is not pleased with this action that it's speaking out against. What is the action? Eating and drinking without discerning the body. Now, what does that mean, to discern the body? Usually, we would say it means that you've got to understand what this bread and wine is for. It, it, it's what I talked to you about the first point, right? This is the body of Jesus. You've got to understand that Jesus is crucified for the forgiveness of your sin. 
If you know that, if you understand that at a basic level, you believe it, you've discerned the body. Except that's not what it means here. It's not what he's talking about. He's actually talking about the church. The church is often in the Bible called the body of Christ. And what these Corinthian people were doing when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they, they literally, some went off and did it, and they had it in a house where there were meals. And some people who didn't have any food came along, they wanted to be a part of it, and the rich people went off eating while the poor people were outside, didn't have anything, left outside. There was this class system, there was this division system where there was no unity around essentially what God is doing in his presence. And you know what he says to those Corinthians people, if you cannot discern how precious, how important, how sacred my gathered body is, this is judgment for you. You don't love the church. You don't care for the other people with whom you sit around this table. <laughs> it's not for you. It's not for you. Can I just say, in building on this, how good is God? I, 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 I see this so much around this Lord's Supper sign, this sacrament. It's an incredible sacrament, far more so than I ever realized, because you know, and I know, that it's around food and around meals that communities heal, are strengthened. Isn't it? Your own family, perhaps even. Families who eat together stay together, right? The Christmas lunch every year. You know why that's special? It's because it strengthens the people who come to it, binding them together, greater intimacy, greater depth, greater love, greater care. How good is God of all the things he could have given his church? To remember him by, he didn't give him a sacred mountain. He didn't give them some recital in a creed that they have to say and doggedly, you know, give him a meal. Because he knew that if they would come to a meal and they would discern the body, this body is built up. It's, it's, it's strengthened. It's made intimate. It's made all that it could be. And, and, and the reality is you are not just a brain on a stick. You and I have bodies that need to be fed. And so God gave us food, a meal that is a blessing to our community. So that's number three, the covenant community. Our church, our church is strengthened, significantly strengthened through the Lord's Supper every time we do it, all right? Number four, our souls feed on Christ. I'll do this somewhat quickly. Um, let me read this Bible passage. It's, a, it's one of the most staggering Bible passages in all of the Bible. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks of my blood, has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks of my blood, abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, 
he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus isn't speaking physically here. All right? He's not talking about physical eating and drinking. He's talking about something spiritual. He says, your soul, your faith, needs to be fed. It's like your body needs food, healthy calories that gets assimilated into your body, that revives you, that nourishes you, that gives you the strength to function. So too, your faith needs nourishment. What is it that we, spiritually speaking, eat and drink? It's rather who? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who feeds you. It's Jesus who encourages you. It's Jesus who gives you hope. It's Jesus who lifts you up. It's him. And every time we eat and drink this, it's no accident that it, 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 there's something that happens. There is a nourishment. There is a feeding. There is a reminder that our spirits, our souls are feeding off this rich feast that God has given us in Christ, physically, spiritually. And then lastly, the last thing we get is, whoop, sorry, Phil, can you skip me to point number five, please? The future is tasted. Then every time you take this meal, every time we take this meal as a church, you see something of your own future. This is a stunning passage that Jesus gives us with his disciples. It's a story that he tells about the end of history. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. He's talking about readiness. Be ready. Be ready for when all things will come to an end. Jesus will create a new heavens, a new earth. Right? And at that time, here comes the staggering statement. I say to you, he, this is Jesus, right? Take this in. He will dress himself for service. He will have you, if you believe in him, recline at the table and he will come and serve you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a Lord's Supper that you're going to be at one day? It's not going to be some guy who's going to give you a piece of bread and a tiny cup of grape juice. <laughs> it's going to be Jesus who's going to welcome you in his table in his full unbroken presence. <laughs> That's your future. That's just where your future in a covenant relationship with God heads to. And what you need to see when you do this is you need to see that. You need to see this particularly when life is hard. When you're working through your, through your divorce or through your custody battles or through your health issues or through your whatever is so imperfect and so broken and so unfinished and so unformed about your life and your world, this tells you that this is not it. You're heading for that. And let it nourish that faith, that, that firm and 
unshakable hope and trust that this is where I'm headed. This little meal, you know, in some ways, the little piece of bread and the little cup of wine is helpful because it is still just a taste. It's just a sample. That's the real thing. And every time we do this, we've got to, I want to say feel it, or know it, sense it, be reminded of it. We see the future, we see our future. That's it for the Lord's Supper. These five things. We remember it's about the presence of God, it's about the community, it's about feeding our faith and nourishing it, and it's about our future. I do want to suggest that sometime next year, at least once in the year, we we have a different kind of Lord's Supper, a real feast, a real meal, a real thing that represents to us the all-satisfying nature of what God has done. It's hard to see the, the full glory and greatness of Christ in a tiny piece of bread. It's hard to feel the satisfaction that, that this meal gives in a, in a tiny piece. It's not wrong, but perhaps at least once. We give ourselves that incredible experience, that taste of everything that this meal is supposed to be. And we'll work with that. We'll think about ideas. Caterers will hate me for it, but I'm sure we can work something out. For today, though, please, just engage with it with faith. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing a song, and then we'll actually share the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you want to know us, that you want to have a relationship with us. And I pray that this would not be, for us, too complicated. That we would, at a very simple level today, just remember. Remember that you love us. Remember that you are holy, that you are great, that you are perfect, and it's such a good thing. And that you would do everything for us to have a relationship with you. We pray that we would Encounter your presence. Know that you are with us, Lord Jesus. You're here. We pray that our community would be immensely strengthened through this wonderful sacrament. Will you feed us? Will you particularly feed today those who are down and out, struggling, hurting, lonely, lost? Feed them, Father. Nourish them. And Lord, give us the glimpse of the future. Let us truly taste it and truly grab a hold of it as we believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.